Shay's passion was poetry, but her mother had convinced her that an English degree was more practical. Some writers were inspired by reading great poets, but Shay, not so much. <laughs> Turns out this choice, choosing a degree that put the emphasis on studying the great works of literature instead of crafting her own poems, well, it sucked all the creativity right out of her. She told me that the tricky part was reading and analyzing a sonnet of Edna St. Vincent Millay created a perfect storm of anxiety and what she called virtuous procrastination. She'd use it as an excuse or a delay tactic when she needed to write. Surely studying great American poets is the best way to become one. Except it did the opposite. When she'd finally sit down to write her own sonnet, and it didn't come out like Edna's, she'd feel the poet's spirit looking over her shoulder with a disapproving glare. She'd feel lost, depressed, blocked. Pretty soon, she was barely writing at all. Putting it off with more and more reading, studying, analyzing, just like her teachers and her mother had told her to. Her grades were great. And yet, her inner artist was dying a slow and miserable death. Procrastination was Shay's biggest coping mechanism in those days. If she didn't start writing her own poems, then they wouldn't be there on the computer mocking her. If she didn't try, then she couldn't fail. The more she learned about the greats, the more she couldn't stomach being a beginner and so the more she avoided writing. 48 hours before her final portfolio was due for her minor in creative writing, she only had three poems, none of which she liked. She worked herself up into a frenzy, forgot to eat, stayed up all night. Maybe you see this one coming. She wound up in the hospital. The brain is a powerful thing, Shay said, as she recounted the story to me. It wants to protect us, and so it will create diversions, distractions, even heart palpitations to help us see that we are not being honest with ourselves. When you don't deal with your fear and anxiety, she said, they will deal with you. This podcast is for Shay. For anyone who struggles with putting off things, from writing sonnets to making that phone call. For all those familiar with the 11th hour. For creative people who seem to think about making the art more than they actually do make the art. This show is for anyone looking to debunk that tortured artist stereotype. For those who want to believe that the creative life can bring us deep satisfaction, healing, and even joy. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Meredith Height Estevez, and this is Artists for Joy, the podcast. Today, I'm talking about something I know many artists struggle with, procrastination. I'll share a scientific study, the findings of which gave me hope for my procrastinating self, and I'll tell you a story about something that I had been putting off and how it actually ended up helping me find my way back to a joy for music. I'll also share a listener message, tell you about an exciting offering I have made for listeners, and as always, I'll give you something to consider this week. But first, here's some more music. 
Have you ever woken up in a shoe store and wondered how you got there? <laughs> no? I sure have. I somehow found myself in a shoe store on 72nd and Broadway by some alarming highway hypnosis type situation. The truth is, mindless shopping is sort of my thing. And before you judge, let me be clear. It isn't buying things I love. It's looking. It's trying things on of being in a beautifully lit space with curated items. It's a stress reliever for me. A distraction for sure, but it feels like an artistic one. Shopping in a beautiful store can feel as zen as strolling through an art museum for me. But on this day, I was walking from school to my apartment and I had sort of just ended up in a shoe store. Which normally wouldn't have been a problem, but this day, a Thursday afternoon towards the end of the semester, 5 p.m., I had a 25-page paper due for the last class of my doctorate degree. 25 pages, due in 15 hours, and I had not even written a word. I don't even remember going through a mental process of thinking that this little excursion made sense. I just sort of woke up to a clerk standing over me with yet another pair of sandals to try on, and at that moment I thought, what am I doing here? <laughs> Much to the clerk's chagrin, I ran out a bit flustered and confused, leaving him with all the size eights to put away. This shoe store excursion, this procrastination, like these things so often are, was just the presenting reality of my anxiety and fear. Deep down, I knew writing 25 pages on Schubert's cello quintet, while adjacent to things I actually cared about, was not something I wanted to do right then. I was stuck in a bad cycle of burnout with a side of people-pleasing and a heap load of anxiety. I was, one, scared that what I would write wouldn't be good, and two, also very much not feeling motivated to even care about what I had to write. Even though this paper was the only thing standing in between me and my coursework being done, the end of a Juilliard doctorate in music, I realized in the shoe store that I hadn't been completely honest with myself. We had gotten to the point where my feet had taken control. <laughs> my subconscious had pushed me somewhere my logical and self-controlled mind had not consented to. As I walked home, I teared up because I was finally seeing how desperately I needed a break. But I knew first I would have to pull an all-nighter. A few weeks back in episode seven, I talked about searching for the thing underneath the thing. And so when I do that here, when I lift the rock of my procrastination, I usually find buried underneath all the delay tactics in spite of their productive or creative or virtuous splendor, good old-fashioned fear. Fear that what I write will not be good, that it will be derivative or lame, that I won't finish it, that I don't have it in me to write one more word, that I'm a fraud. Fear that it won't be perfect, fear of failure, 
Oh, and fear of success, fear of everything happening, fear of nothing happening. No wonder it was easier to shop for shoes. The Procrastination Research Group. Yes, down at the bottom of an internet rabbit hole, I found that is actually a thing. <laughs> this group published a study about teenagers and procrastination. It said, when teenagers feel both agency, meaning they believe they have choices and the means to affect their environment, and when they have achieved a deeper sense of identity, like a deeper sense of self, then they are less likely to procrastinate. The higher the student scored in terms of self-actualization and self-efficacy, the less likely they were to put things off. When I read this this week, I realized that maybe my resistance around the paper and finishing the degree, maybe it was trying to communicate something to me. Did I feel like I had agency to change my circumstances? No. Had I forgotten the reasons why I had entered the degree program in the first place and how they connected to my overall goals and identity? Yes. If I could remember why, how the whole difficult process and challenge of it all, how it had connected with who I was and what I wanted to be, I see now, if I could have remembered that, maybe the paper would have been easier. A couple years later, I'm lying on the floor of my then friend, now husband's apartment. We were both looking out the one window at the sky. There was a massive storm rolling in. It was one of those warm summer evenings where one minute it was bright and sunny and the next thing you know, thick black clouds roll in and overtake the sky. Edwin loved to watch storms. And so we camped out by the window he put on some music and we watched nature bring the rain. Edwin asked me what my favorite piece of classical music was. He himself was a Latin jazz percussionist who didn't really know much about the oboe or the classical world at the time. I always dreaded these questions from him and everyone at this stage in my life. I left New York and moved to Chicago in hopes of putting the whole Juilliard thing behind me. In that moment, though, maybe it was the storm or the new relationship, but much to my own surprise, I told him that my favorite piece of classical music was the second movement of Schubert's cello quintet, the very piece I had procrastinated writing about in the shoe store so many years ago. He pulled up a recording on his phone, and as it played, all those thoughts from that paper came flooding to my mind. I gave him a play-by-play -play of what Schubert was doing in this one of his final works. I explained to Edwin what I heard in it, that it was a composer struggling with his identity and his mortality as his time on earth was slipping away. And this quintet, in my opinion, his best piece, was written as one of his final works near his deathbed. Suddenly, things that I hadn't thought of since New York poured out of me. I told him the way that the opening melody of this piece really doesn't sound like a melody, 
Like it sounds like it's missing something. How the middle section is stormy and unsettling, and how when the opening section returns, Schubert leaves some of the rumble from the middle section in the second cello part. Almost as if to say, no one can ever be the same after experiencing life. The rumble had left the opening melody changed forever. These were things I hadn't thought about in years. In fact, the pain and the guilt about all the ways the degree in my time there had pushed me to the brink of exhaustion and burnout and lack of joy for music. I wondered if I would even use my degree at this point, and I tried hard not to think about it. I realized on the floor of Edwin's apartment that I had been procrastinating the processing of all those feelings because I was worried what truths I would find there. And suddenly, just by Edwin asking me a simple question during a thunderstorm, I realized it. Music did still move me. This was why I had started that degree. As much pain as I had experienced over the years, this fact was simply who I was. It was my calling after all, in spite of all the ways I had thought I had failed at it. That day was the beginning of realizing the way towards healing was to remember my why and to claim the agency I had to change my perspective. I was starting to see that the key to healing fear and anxiety that has us putting things off is to double down on our main themes, to see the ways life and all its rumbles have changed us, and to rest in the knowledge that who we really are is still in there. And I see now that these discoveries are not made through taskmaster discipline and the gnashing of teeth, but through creativity, play, and joy. It took lying on a floor with a friend, watching a storm, to remember who I really was, and to believe again that I had the agency to stop procrastinating and get to work healing. Shay had done the same. She managed to get an extension, took some time off of school, and found herself writing to process instead of produce. She finished her English degree with a creative writing minor, and she's now working on her manuscript for a book. And you probably figured out that I did finish the shoe store Schubert paper. <laughs> but in order to protect those involved, I will not tell you my grade. But let's just say, in spite of my little lecture I had given Edwin about it, that paper was not my best work. I had procrastinated writing it, finishing the program, because I had been disconnected from what I even liked about Schubert's cello quintet or why the degree even mattered to me anymore. Somewhere along the way, I'd stopped lying on the floor, gazing up in wonder at the world, both literally and figuratively. Maybe we are anxious and scared in the face of tasks because we aren't connected to what they mean to us. Or worse, we know they don't resonate with our real goals or truest values anymore, and we're too worried about what admitting that will mean. Maybe we are scared and anxious, but what we are not is lazy. Here's the good news. 
just like the teenagers in the study, we have the power to affect change in our lives. We have the opportunity to curiously explore this resistance in ourselves and to listen again and again for what it might be saying to us. And that task is much more life-giving than buying shoes or scrolling Facebook could ever be. And we can't put it off for another second. I'll be right back. This is my 10th episode. It's a small milestone, but I know that I got to celebrate where I can, right? Um, one listener wrote to me this week and said, thank you for your beautiful podcast. It has become a staple for my inner artist to find new things and clean up old beliefs. Plus, your oboe playing is so beautiful, as are all the curated classical pieces you choose. Each week, I feel like I got an aesthetic treat a mind stimulation, and a heart wash. <laughs> Another listener said, I am not usually a fan of classical music, but I love the tracks you choose to feature on the podcast. Can you send me a list or where I can find these pieces online? Well, thank you so, so, so much uh, from the bottom of my heart for those lovely messages. I always love hearing from listeners, especially when they say nice things. <laughs> so in honor of my 10th episode, I have two exciting announcements. First, per these listener requests, I have made a special playlist for you, which includes most of the pieces I have featured during these last 10 episodes, and it is ready for your listening pleasure. I will keep adding to it as I produce new shows, so make sure you follow the playlist on Spotify to get the most updated version. I'll put the link to that in the show notes. And just FYI, those recordings you'll find on the playlist won't be the actual recordings I use in the show because the tracks I use are mainly live recordings from past performances of mine or of friends, so they aren't on Spotify published uh, as of yet. But I do have a curated list of great recordings of those works that are professionally published, and they are available to the general public. And that does include my first album that I recorded with my pianist, Janie. So please check, check that out and let me know what you think. Lastly, I'm excited to say that Artists for Joy podcast is part of the 2020 Podcast Awards. You can go online and vote for us if you don't mind. The link to do so is in the show notes. Uh, apparently, you have to sign up uh, to vote to log in which is really unfortunate, but I hope you'll do it and take a minute. It helps us, uh, potentially winning would help us gain recognition and new listeners and give us more visibility. So you can also share that with your friends and family for them to vote as well. Voting closes July 31st, so do not put this off. Wink, wink.
Here's something to consider this week. In the Great Plains, at the first sight of a blizzard, farmers were known to tie a rope between their house and their barn. They knew that people often got lost and were buried by the snow in their own backyard because they were disoriented by the storm. So my question for you today is this. Who or what in your life is the rope that leads you back to yourself when you're caught in life's blizzard? What concrete actions can you take that will show you the way back? We need relationships and tools and the whole lot to cultivate this sense of identity and to confirm our agency. For many of us, it does not come naturally. And life's blizzard is all around us. It disorients, wounds, and scars us. We can literally be in our own soul's backyard, inhabiting a shell of who we are truly meant to be, and be quite lost. And so no wonder we put things off. This will lead us to all kinds of places out of procrastination, anxiety, avoidance, denial. We need ways to help us connect with ourselves, a companion that will give us perspective and lead us back to the direction we're supposed to go when the storm comes. Maybe the simple act of curiosity will help you find the rope. Where does this task I'm avoiding take me? Is this a place I want to go? Why do I want to go there? Does this task connect to a deeper core belief that I hold? Does this belief still sound true for me at this moment? What am I most afraid of or anxious about? How can I be gentle in reassuring myself that these feelings are to be expected as I take steps along this blurry, disorienting, yet true path. The lion's share of self-help books out there will tell you that the key to overcoming procrastination is to take small steps daily with tasks that you're dreading. And while I don't completely disagree, I know that if we aren't taking steps in the right direction for the right reasons, then it doesn't really matter what tasks we complete by what deadline. We will still never deal with our anxiety and fear Instead, like Shay said, they will deal with us. We must be sure that those fears and anxiety aren't trying to tell us that we are walking in circles, that we have let go of the rope. So take this image with you this week. Grasp for that rope of your why in spite of the storm. Grab on and hold tightly through all of life's blinding blizzards and believe it will lead you home. That's it for this week's episode of Artists for Joy. It was written and produced by me, Meredith Height Estevez, with production help from John Fredenberg. The podcast is made possible by the generous support of Grace Church in Wilmington, Delaware, and is a partnership between Lumina Arts Incubator and the University of Delaware School of Music. 
Our theme song is by Angela Sheik, and this episode also featured music of Franz Schubert, performed by members of the Copeland Quartet, with special guests Ruth Fraser and Larry Stomberg. You also heard me on oboe with Janie Parsons on piano. Don't forget to check out the Spotify playlist I made for you in the show notes, and keep checking back weekly to that as I add more tracks from future episodes. The link to the article I read about the Procrastination Research Group's study on teenagers and putting things off is linked in the show notes as well. I first read about the rope in the blizzard story in a book by Parker Palmer that's from A Hidden Wholeness, The Journey to an Undivided Life. Don't forget to vote for us at podcastawards.com as we celebrate this, our 10th episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next Friday. I just couldn't help but play a little bit of that Schubert recording, the the final entrance of the theme that comes back with the rumble from the middle section in it so that you can hear it without me talking over it. Uh, here is the wonderful Copeland Quartet playing playing that movement now. Enjoy. Mm-hmm. 